I'm Katie Quinn, and this is my show, Q. Q is an interview show that talks about Missouri. I was born and raised in St. Louis, and now I go to the University of Missouri, also known as Mizzou. I'm just trying to get the word out there about what's going on in our state. I interview experts on issues that may have been unseen by the public. This week is about policing in Missouri. I talked to the executive director of the Columbia Police Officers Association, Dale Roberts. Roberts sees the association as a community for the Columbia Police Force to train, help with police legislation, and provide a social bonding among officers. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm tired, but long, long day, late night last night, but other than that, I'm doing well. Well, good. Um, I just want you to start out, uh, can you explain what your organization is and your role there? Sure. Um, the Columbia Police Officers Association was started in January of 1975 by a bunch of officers, uh, Columbia Police Officers, of course as an organization to represent the officers, uh, you know, promote their their interests, um, help support each other, you know, things like that. In 2007, the Missouri Supreme Court, well, let me back up one step. Um, for many years in Missouri, it was thought that municipal employees did not have the legal right to engage in bargaining with their cities, their employers, over over their employment rights, which would be pay and benefits in terms of employment. 2007, the Missouri Supreme Court issued a decision in which it held that it basically said, well, of course they do. It's in the Constitution and municipal employees have the right, same right as anybody else, to engage in collective bargaining with their employers. So basically, we're now recognized as a, I put in quotes sometimes, union, um, which, again, you know, represents the police officers, represents our members. Um, and my position, I'm, I'm actually an attorney, I semi-retired, um, from a number of different positions with the state and was teaching, I taught law on campus for many years and I was teaching constitutional law at the police academy which is actually a university entity and got to know a bunch of the officers and they started saying, you know, we need somebody to help us, represent us. So I stopped teaching and for the past, well, going on eight years now, I've worked as the executive director of the Columbia Police Officers Association and uh, handled legal issues and uh, just helped officers with various things, just kind of jack-of-all-trades, if you will. On your website, there's a mission statement about your organization is trying to advance the social, professional, and education of the police force. How is your organization doing that? Well, the, you know, I guess in, in order, like that's probably the order in which they, or the way they were listed in the corporate charter back in the 70s. Um, the social, just since that's the first one listed, um, 
we you know we do organized events we we have a christmas party every year um which is one it's a really large event and it's one of the very few chances when the officers and their their spouses or guests um, can all get together somewhere and just relax you know try to put work aside have a really nice dinner uh, we give away a lot of gifts to people who attend not just the members but the other folks that attend and it's just a really nice event and then for many years and just kind of off and on depending on some variables we we have uh, some folks who are supporters who live within about I don't know 15 10 15 miles um, who own a big chunk of property with a big lake and we'd have a summer picnic there um, I always make sure we have a certified life you know registered lifeguard there and uh, it's a place where they can swim and fish and boat and we cook out or have food delivered uh, one year Tom Bradley who has a radio show here in town and is kind of famous for his barbecue came out at, just out of his own pocket and made barbecue for everybody so those are the two sort of big social events and then we have a couple of events that are both social event and fundraiser um, this we, we missed it this year because of COVID but this year would have been I think our 29th annual golf tournament and that's always well attended to the point where it's generally sold out and uh, you know somewhat crowded I mean it's it's developed quite a following and as I said that's you know both a kind of a social get-together and it's also something of a fundraiser for the association uh, Truman's out on West Broadway it's a big supporter and they always provide breakfast before the golf tournament begins and then uh, food after after it's over and we gather there before to get organized and afterwards to hand out prizes and then uh, a couple of years ago patterned after something the department used to do but discontinued we started another sort of social fundraiser and that is a handgun competition at a local firearms range which is open to anyone I mean, it's open to the public but it gives the the public and officers from other agencies the opportunity to come in and engage in a little friendly competition with our officers and kind of get to know each other and traditionally we've given away five to six really rather nice and expensive firearms to the winners and, and a few cash prizes in various classes of competition so like I said those are kind of social fundraiser both and then the second one you named is it professional professional I can't yeah. remember okay I was trying to remember the order in which they come so I, so I could try to stay organized um, you know professional we have we're actually working with bringing in a nationally recognized speaker um, the CPOA is a lodge or a member within the National Fraternal Order of Police and there's a, there's a speaker um, who's really well known in law enforcement circles he's quite good and you know we're working on bringing him in and when that happens 
you know, it'll be not only for our members, but open to uh, folks from any, you know, law enforcement agency that wants to join in. And then we do a lot of, I guess, both formal and informal work with the city, really specifically with the police department or with the chief on continuing, you know, discussing uh, training, you know, basically training, continuing education uh, for the officers. Um, and, you know, other professional things, I mean, work with issues having to do with, you know, promotions or advancements or specialty training within the department. And I mean, this probably comes under a couple of different headings. We're actually uh, really, and this, I think this is really quite unusual for a police officer association, but because of my many years of experience in Jefferson City, we're really active at the legislature and have gotten some bills passed through our efforts down there. And, you know, it's one way to sort of be involved with the community and look at good, you know, legislation and some of it, you know, addresses the potential, for, well, just things for the profession, you know, professional issues. Um, and that, as I said, kind of crosses over into several areas. And social, professional, what's the next one? Education. Education. And, that's, and I think I've already touched on that. I mean, that's the same as, as the other issues I've talked about. Um, and I, I don't have it in front of me. If there's another one far away, and I can address that. What type of bills have you have you gotten passed in Jefferson City? Well, the first one, and gosh, that was six years ago, probably. Um, the there's a Missouri statute that addresses when a public employee may be eligible to file a claim under workers' comp for some kind of uh, mental distress, you know, PTSD or other, you know, mentally, I guess, mental issues that are a result of being on the job. And for reasons that I don't know, uh, when that section of the statute was passed many years ago, it provided um, eligibility for firefighters and for EMS, you know, ambulance workers, paramedic rescue squad workers, but it didn't say anything about law enforcement officers. And I think it goes without saying, or should go without saying, you know, law enforcement officers are exposed to just almost daily uh, scenes of, you know, either physical violence, neglect. I, you know, I work with a lot of officers who deal with abused children and abused spouses and things of that sort. Um, I was talking to someone uh, who routinely works with the bodies, you know, after a homicide or a, a vehicle fatality just last evening. So anyway, uh, we went to the legislature about that, and the legislature agreed that that needed to be fixed, the legislators we worked with. And so a bill was passed simply to amend that statute to say, oh, and this also 
covers law enforcement officers. Why wouldn't it? And sadly, um, over the past five or ten years, probably five to six or eight years, nationally, uh, professional organizations, just people have begun to realize that depression, PTSD, um, issues like that are really a serious issue for law enforcement officers. Two, I think it was two years ago, for the first time ever, uh, the number of officers nationally who died from suicide was higher than the number of officers who were killed in line of duty. And there are usually, I don't know, uh, 150 to 200 officers, 200 officers killed in the line of duty every year. So last two years, at least, suicide has been more than that. So that, that was really an important issue. Roberts talks about the number of officers who took their own lives versus being killed in the line of duty. Blue Help is a nonprofit organization that works with law enforcement and issues around mental health. According to the group, in 2019, 228 officers took their own lives. In comparison, 89 officers died in the line of duty. One of our officers uh, came to me and said, you know, I was uh, trying to make a make an arrest or take somebody into custody for whom there was a warrant, whatever the circumstances were. Uh, there was a struggle, and the individual tried to take uh, either his taser or his pepper spray, something, you know, off of his duty belt to use against him. And at that time, state law said it's a felony if you try to take a, a law enforcement officer's firearm away from the officer. But the again, when the statute was written, I, I don't imagine officers carried much more than a revolver and some ammunition. And obviously, you know, their profession has changed immensely. So the statute was changed and now says that if you try to take an officer's firearm, taser, pepper spray, et cetera, all of those things are covered offenses because obviously, you know, if you wrestle with an officer, take her um, taser away from her, use it against her, a taser will completely immobilize a person. And then once she's immobilized, you can easily take her firearm and you're off to the races. So those are two that I can go off the top of my head. How do you believe the city of Columbia perceives the police here? Um, I, that depends on who you mean by the city of Columbia, because that's, you know, there are different groups within the city that have rather different opinions. Well, the public as a whole, is there um, an overall consensus, or are you saying that they're very divided in the way that they feel about it? Well, <laughs> It, from what we see, from what from what appears, there is a numerically what appears to be a vocal but fairly small number of people who uh, either unhappy with law enforcement with the concept of law enforcement or unhappy with police in general. Um, you know, are proposing the defund police and things like that. But then we we hear from a an extraordinarily large number of people who say you know we support you we we believe in 
it, you know, we want our communities to be safe. We, you know, we support law enforcement. Each year, the City of Columbia conducts a citizen survey about a variety of topics. The survey from 2019 found that 64% of citizens were extremely satisfied or satisfied, 44% were neutral, and 14% of citizens were dissatisfied with police services. The survey showed that citizens felt it was a priority for police to make an increased effort to prevent crime. 58% of residents felt safe in Columbia in 2019. I, even before I had this position, when I would see something in the media that appeared to highlight a, pro a problem with a police officer or agency somewhere, uh, my first thought is, and that's why they need you know, more training. You know, the, the answer is not get, get, in some cases, there's a, an officer who just is not meant to be in that profession. But in many cases, you see something, and it happens in all professions, in all occupations. You see something that's that's wrong or, or went badly, and you go, wow, that needs to be corrected. There needs to be better training to improve those kinds of situations. So, you know, the, the first responders in Columbia get tremendous support from the mayor. Uh, the chief is, they're extremely happy with the chief. Um, last week or the week before, um, three different businesses came together and set up a food truck in front of the station and provided food all day long for every police officer, food county sheriff or highway patrolman, as well as the officers who provide law enforcement security in the courthouse to to feed them. And it was, you know, Lily's Cantina provided the food, Peggy Jean's pies, uh, donated pies, and, you know, that sort of stuff. I don't know, I don't think it ever makes the news, but that happens quite regularly. You talked about uh, that you believe more training is needed in certain situations. What kind of training? Well, you know, there, sometimes, let me sort of do it chronologically. So officers in Missouri, there's a very specific, um, and I think since I used to teach at the police academy, I thought pretty demanding curriculum of what it takes to become, to be eligible to test and become a law enforcement officer. So you've got somebody who comes out of the academy and is really well trained, and I think the challenge is that when you know when someone gets to their employer a lot of agencies don't receive the funding that they should to provide continuous training as a lawyer you know the supreme court of missouri has rules about how many hours i must do every year to continue to you know keep my license and the hours are divided into certain things that i in which i must train every year and so, you know, officers in agencies, not just CPD, but I think statewide and elsewhere in the country from places I've, that I've been to and spoken, um, a lot of agencies, you know, municipal budgets are almost always tight. I don't know of, of can't think of any municipality that just has all the money they need. 
And so one of the, if they if things are tight, traditionally one of the first things that gets cut is training because they feel like, well, the state requires a minimum of such and such, so we'll do that, but we just can't afford to do anything more. And for example, you know, I think I know that uh, Columbia Police Department provides at least the minimum amount of training required in firearms uh, every year. They 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 might exceed that by you know some amount, but I don't think by much. And you know, to me, that's just one example, and it's certainly not the officer's fault. It's certainly not the fault of the chief of police. It's the you know it's the city budget that says this is all the money you get. So you know that's just one example where you think you know if somebody is authorized to use deadly force to to draw a firearm and might have to use it, and when that happens, it's usually something like a split-second decision, and about 50% of the time it's in the dark. So you think, I would think that's an area where you would train, 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 and sort of say to yourself, you know, it's easy for me to say money should be no object, because I know money, you know, funding is difficult, and especially this year. But again, it's it's something where you say, you know, wow, that's something where we should try to to do all that we can. And so, you know, that's just one example, and that, I'm, I think, applies to pretty much everything else. Um, that, you know, being a police officer, it's easy to sit back and go, wow, I saw the video, I would have done that differently. But, you know, if, if you, let me stop and say this. Anyone who's interested, in that, and the form is on the webpage for the police department, can fill out a form and say, I'd like to go on a ride-along with an officer. I'd like to ride along for a couple hours and see what actually goes on. And, you know, they check to make sure you're not a, whatever, convicted drug dealer or whatever, you know, whoever should not be in a police car or if somebody with pending charges, I don't know. But, you know, they approve it, and then you're allowed to go on a ride-along and see what really happens, and, and it's an eye-opener. Um, so anyway, I've, I've kind of wandered around that topic. What what else can I answer, or how else? What else can I tell you? So what I'm gathering, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, the current movement to defund the police and police reform is the opposite of what your organization wants and what police want because they think it's going to take away money from possibly more training. Well, if defunding, I, you know, the trouble. Anytime somebody says, you know, I'm going to do X, my first question is usually, what do you mean by X? So when people say, we want to defund the police, then my first question is, well, what do you mean by defund? Just completely eliminate the budget and not have a police department anymore? Or do you want to, you know, what do you mean by that? So, yeah, I, you know, what what we believe and what we've been hearing from the people in the community um, that come forward and say, hey, this is what we think, is that, you know, law enforcement agencies um, are play a vital role in terms of public safety, you know, trying to prevent crime. 
uh, trying to, you know, working to investigate and solve crimes when they do happen and hold the guilty person responsible. Um, and, you know, when you look at that, the, the Department, I think it's the Department of Justice standard, um, but there's a national standard that says a community should have two and a half officers for every 1,000 residents. At that level, you've got enough people to actively engage in crime prevention and all the other things you need to do. So two and a half per thousand is the national standard. Columbia, last time we checked, has about 1.3 for every thousand. So in order to get up to the national standard, Columbia would have to add about 140 police officers overnight. And we know that's not going to happen. There's no funding for something like that. But what that does mean is the department is drastically understaffed. The officers work extremely long hours, put in what I think is just an unreasonable amount of overtime. And if you're shorthanded like that, whether it's a fire department or a police department, instead of spending time preventing, you know, being proactive and preventing things, you, you're doing well to spend time reacting to things and trying to solve or fix whatever happened, whether it's a fire or a crime. So defunding doesn't help anything, and in fact, it makes things worse. And my last question, because you said we only have 30 minutes and I don't want to take up any more of your time. Why okay, do you think yeah. there's been a big push for police reform this year? Well, the media has covered events, a number, you know, we've all seen, there have been a number of events in the media that have shown situations that you look at and you go, boy, that looks bad. And so that has gained attention and momentum. Um, and, and I think that's, the short answer, um, the, you know, one of the things included in that push is something called Eight Can't Wait, and it's a list of eight things that reformers think every department should do in order to be a good department, and they should do these eight things. I, you know, when that came out, I looked at those eight things, and Columbia has already done all eight of them, and Columbia did them years ago. Columbia has written policies that cover all eight things. You know, I think there's a web page called Eight Can Wait or something like that. And it's like, hey, we already did that. We, I wasn't involved, but I mean, this community did that years ago. And, you know, you look in the news, you see those, you know, terrible problems in other communities aren't happening in Columbia. And I think that's because Columbia has had good, policies. We have a really good police chief at the helm. And, you know, officers are only human, but I think they do a really good job. Roberts claims that the Columbia Police Department has completed all eight of the Eight Can't Wait campaign that asks for police reform among U.S. police departments. I will now be going through and fact-checking all eight that go along with this claim. For my main source, I'm using an article from the Columbia, Missourian from June 2020. I also did research by looking at the Columbia Police Department Policy and Procedure Manual. Number one, Police Chief Jeff Jones says, the police department, quote, encourages officers to use de-escalation techniques when possible, unquote. Officers practice de-escalation techniques during annual in-service training. 
but it is left up to the judgment of the officer. Number two, Police Chief Jones told the Columbia Missourian that officers are required to intervene if an officer is using excessive force as well as report the situation of what happened. Number three, there are policies in place that ban chokeholds unless, quote, intentionally applying deadly force, unquote, from Police Chief Jeff Jones. Deadly force is only allowed if there are no other options. This change was made after the death of George Floyd. Number four, officers are required to give a verbal warning before shooting a civilian. This does not apply to officers who feel threatened by the situation. Number five, an officer cannot shoot at a moving vehicle unless they are, quote, intentionally applying deadly force, unquote. According to the Columbia Police Manual, policy requires officers to not shoot a moving vehicle to disable it, quote, unless deadly force is justified, unquote. Number six, there is no law that requires officers to go through alternatives before deadly force. Alternatives and deadly force are up to the officer's own judgment. Deadly force is allowed in cases such as a subject fleeing the scene who has committed a felony or plans to commit a felony that causes injury or death. Verbal warning is required before deadly force. Number seven. Training is done by officers to understand when force is allowed. There is an authority to use force in threatening situations. Many factors are involved with the use of force, which can be found in the Columbia Police Manual. There is no policy specifying when an officer should or should not use force. Number eight, Police Chief Jones also says reporting is clear and always done when an officer uses force. It is done through a software known as Blue Team. There has been backlash this summer due to transparency issues, though, with this reporting. Thanks for joining me today for my show on police reform. For updates on this story, follow me at KDQ News on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, listen to hear from the ACLU and Campaign Zero about police reform. And as always, remember, question everything.